good to be here tonight among uh I see a lot of old friends good good people that we've known for a long time and uh see some new faces out there uh getting look forward to meeting you all um the meal this evening was uh wonderful uh, it was uh, very good and uh, I understand that y'all slaved and slaved away over it it was just uh in a hot hot uh, <laughs> kitchen but I appreciate however it came and whoever cooked it uh it was delicious it is just what the doctor ordered so thank you um we uh, I've got a traveling companion with me uh, brother James my oldest son I'm glad to have him with us I hope you'll get to know him and and I'm a little uh, a little biased, but he's an extraordinary young man and uh, has a lot of promise uh, in his life. We're very proud of him, and if that's the right word. Uh, good to see uh, the other elders and tenants, and uh, hope that you will be praying for me. I, I'm always encouraged when there's other preachers in the congregation because I know at least one, two, three people that I know of will be praying uh, that the Lord will bless. They've been here before, so they know. Uh, and if I if I left you out just now, I just because I don't know you, and I'm sorry, uh, but we'll get to know you. Um, and finally, uh, before we get started tonight, I'd like to just say uh, thank you to all of your parents uh, that brought your children to church tonight on a Friday night. There's so many other things that you could have been doing with your time, and you chose to show your children what was important this evening. And they may not get it tonight, or they may not get it next week, but they'll get it. And uh, they'll, um, and even if they reject it, uh, you still did your job, and um, and I appreciate it so much. We had a little kid down the street, and I'm so thankful for these memories and lessons. We had this uh, kid down the street that was my best friend, and he he grew up differently than I did, very differently in his life, uh, and and my life, uh, you know. Uh, widened apart as our paths uh, went and diverged and went in directions that uh, didn't correspond to each other. But I remember growing up, I was just so envious of him because his parents on Sunday morning, um, his daddy would go fishing and his mother would go to church. And if his mother, um, you know, she if she had a hard enough time waking him up, she'd leave him, leave him there. And uh, I just thought... I'd try that one Sunday. Uh, didn't go over well. Uh, and so here I am. Um, but all kidding aside, it is um, so good to see you children in the congregation. Thank you for being here. I know that you were brought here, uh, but thank you for uh, being here and being awake, uh, at least right now. Hopefully, Brother John won't put you to sleep. Uh, so John chapter 2. I'm excited about being here and sharing this with you this evening. Hope that you've been been praying. If you haven't, uh, say a quick one. Um, in John chapter two, a lot has happened. By John chapter two, the um, the gospel writers all are different, as you know. You Bible readers know that all of the gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—present the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ radically different. And John goes all the way back before the beginning. He goes back to when God created the heavens and the earth, and it was just Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit creating in the six days of creation and resting on the seventh. He explains that that indeed was Jesus, and he was an active participant in the creation of the world. 
It's important to understand that John starts off by saying that when God communicated, when he wanted to communicate uh, himself to us, that he communicated himself to us in the person of his son and calls him the word, W-O-R-D, which means the divine expression. So that's what I mean when I say when God wanted to express himself, there was no greater expression of himself than himself. And he expressed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is born of a virgin, and you can take that how you want to, but the scripture says that Jesus was born of a virgin, and it says it many times. It repeatedly says it so that you're not confused that his birth is different and apart and separate and unique from any other human that's ever come into this world, while being human, yet being God at the same time. And this is the only way that that could have stood. So from his very conception and from his very beginning, he's different. As a matter of fact, an angel is speaking, I believe, to his mother and says she, he's trying to put her at ease, that what's about to happen to her is a good thing. And he says that thing which is conceived of thee is conceived of the Holy Ghost. In other words, it's not, uh, it's not just a person. It's a holy thing. It's uh, indescribably good. It is holy, H-O-L-Y and W-H-O-L-Y, separate and apart from all other things and all other people. It is indeed the divine expression of God's love towards us, his son, that he's going to give and sacrifice for himself and for and in place of all of us in 33 and a half short years later. So. By the time we get to John, uh, a lot has happened, and um, Jesus has been baptized. He's a grown man. He's been baptized. He's been tempted in the wilderness, and um, he comes out of the wilderness and begins his public ministry. The very first thing uh, that happens in his public ministry, according to John, it's really an odd thing. Is his mother is at a marriage. So the scripture says she's already there. And um, <clears throat> and then Jesus is invited to the marriage, uh, him and his disciples. How many of your mothers have ever gotten you an invitation uh, somewhere that she was at? You know, maybe you didn't want to go, but you, you were bidden later or on behalf of your mother. I remember I had to go on a date one time. Uh, because of my mother, and I just didn't want to go. And I, it's, it continues to be a, a bone of contention with me and her all these many years later. Uh, I'll tell you that story later. It's a funny story, but so I can just imagine Jesus, Jesus is minding his business. He's doing what he's doing, and he's with his disciples. And all of a sudden, he gets an invitation to a marriage that his mother's at, and so he goes. And who doesn't like to go to weddings? I like to go to weddings. I know these other preachers probably feel the same way that I do. I don't like to perform them. I like to go to them, but I don't like to perform them. And everybody's like, why? Why don't you? This is, it doesn't make any sense. Well, try to perform a wedding and you'll get it. Uh, there's so much pressure. You wouldn't imagine. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just as comfortable as an otter in the water in the pulpit, but put me in front of a group of people just talking about love and marriage and saying the right name and 
that I think, you know, it's just too much pressure. I just don't like it. But Jesus goes to a wedding and they run out of wine. Or maybe they didn't even have any wine. It's not really clear to me if they had any wine to begin with, but they're complaining that there's no wine there. And um, people like to drink at weddings. I mean, it's been going on for thousands of years, apparently. And so they're they're either run out of wine or they don't have any, and everybody's complaining. And they go to Mary, and they say, we don't have any wine. And uh, I don't know what they thought she was going to do about it, but they we don't have any wine. And, and she says, well... Um, okay, well, I'll tell Jesus. And, um, and she says, before I tell him, whatsoever he saith to do, do it. Now, the reason that's so significant to me is because Mary has had 10, as far as the scriptures go, she's had 10 supernatural, unusual interactions, either with Jesus or about Jesus to this point. And she knows exactly who he is, and she knows exactly what's about to happen. She has no doubt about it. She is visited by an angel who tells her that that holy thing which is conceived of thee is conceived of the Holy Ghost. I don't know any of you mothers out there were ever visited by an angel and told what the son or the daughter's name was going to be and predicted that the future of this child was going to be blessed by God beyond measure But that is not the experience I had with my children. And my wife would tell you she didn't have that experience either. Her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, is also visited by an angel who is told that this is, uh, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's the most famous uh, verse, perhaps the most famous verse in primitive Baptistum, because we got... We got uh, named, we, we love that verse so much that we got named hard shells because of it, which turned into hard shells. I don't know if you know the history uh, behind that, that, uh, that phrase, but it comes from our old, uh, our old school preachers just love to preach grace. And they would start with Matthew chapter 1, uh, 121 and say, it's a foregone conclusion in the mind and heart of God that God's people were already saved. It was a done deal. He, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We emphasize the shalls in the Bible is what I'm saying. We were hard on the shalls and we got named hard shells and hard shells got hard shells got turned into hard shells. And ah, that's so funny. We're turtles. But, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. But I love the shalls and the wills in the Bible because... Especially when it's attached to God's name, because you can take those to heart. You can, the, the, the promises that God's made are sure and steadfast, and they're not going anywhere, and you can believe them. Just as you can believe that his name was Jesus. Do, do we call him Jesus or not? That's his name, and he was named that uh, by God, and that message was sent to his uh, adopted father, Joseph, who named him Jesus. And the second part is also true. He saved his people from their sins. He didn't save. He didn't give the opportunity for salvation. Although if he did, I would preach that. I would believe that. But that's not what it says. The scripture says that he did save his people. It was a particular people he was after. 
So well, what if we sang that hymn this, this evening? There's a line, and I think the tune that we sing it to at, at home, what if my name shall be left out? Uh, you know, that's a people's fear when we talk about election and predestination. Let me tell you something very, very clearly and as strongly as I can and as politely as I can. The doctrines of election and predestination, that God loved people before the foundation of the world, sent his son to die for those people, and his son did die for those people and save those people. Then the Holy Spirit comes into their life whenever he pleases and takes them from death and sins to life in Christ, and they're born again instantaneously, without any help from anybody. Sovereign grace, that's, that's it in a nutshell, I just told you. That includes more people than all other salvific doctrines combined. There's not going to be anybody afraid to get left out, will be left out. If you're afraid of being left out, it means you're in. Because the Adolf Hitlers of the world don't care. And that's an evidence that they are not in. Because they don't care, and they're enemies of God, and God's not their friend, and they don't care. But the tenderized heart of a child of God who does care is evidence to the fact that God's Spirit lives in them. And God's Spirit only lives in people that are born again, and those that were born again were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and those that were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ were loved before the foundation of the world by God the Father. It's very logical. It makes perfect sense, and it's very easy to believe. It's easy for me to believe because it's the only way I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I, I tell this story all the time. We came to visit Brother Sam one time. The kids were just crazy. I don't know if you've ever been on a four-hour car ride with twins, but it's nuts. It's, it's, I'm sorry, James. He, he asked me not to preach about him when he was about ten years old, and, I, and I've tried to keep that promise, but... Yeah, the other twins, yes. They were nuts. And, and it had been a long day at work. You know, I'm a middle school teacher, so I'm just around children all the time. There's no escape. And uh, we got to Brother Sam's house. It was late that night. where I'm cleaning out the car and trying to get the bags in the car. And I threw away all of the trash that was in the car. We went to bed, and I slept like a baby and got up late the next morning. About I know it's shameful, but I got about 10 probably the next morning and had to go run an errand. And I... Have y'all seen my keys? Uh, anybody seen my keys? And we looked all over the house. We turned the house upside down. Where in the world? See, it hasn't even been 24 hours. How can I not remember where I put my keys? I had thrown them away. And the garbage truck was down the street before we realized that I had thrown them away. And I had to go, I had to go out to the, uh, the curb and save them in the nick of time. If I can't remember where I put my keys, if you're like me, and you can't remember where you put your keys or keep track of the socks that you put in the dryer. How on earth do you think that you could be trusted with something as precious as eternity? Amen. I can't. I know. The reason I'm a primitive Baptist is because it's the only hope I've got for heaven. And Mary knew who this man was. She... She was giving birth to him in a manger. Months later, she'd already spoken to her uh, her cousin Elizabeth, whose 
infant baby leapt for joy in its mother's womb. That pulls chills on me. Doesn't say that the, you know, again, and this is kind of, I hope I get to the point this evening. This is not really the point. Maybe it is the point. You know, the Lord leads in strange ways. Maybe this is what you need to hear this evening, but. The babe leapt in its mother's womb for joy. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith. The only way you have a fruit is you have the root. You can't have fruit without the root. And the root, of course, is the spirit of God. And the fruit that grows out of the tree of the spirit of God is all of the lovely things that I just told you about. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering. And if you got those things... It means you have the root of the Spirit of God. You're born again. John the Baptist was born again in his mother's womb. He didn't just leap in his mother's womb the way that most children do, but he leapt for joy. The Scripture goes out of its way to say that so that we can believe that he was born again in his mother's womb, which gives me eternal hope for those that have died in their mother's womb. It it gets me every time. When I think about the helplessness that I feel, about those children. There's nothing I can do. I've done. I, I, I can do all that I can do. But they every day someone does it. Every day. Children die in their mother's womb. And I, I can rest committing their lives and their souls to God. Isn't that sweet rest? That you don't have to worry about. At least you don't have to worry about their eternal salvation. God's got them in the palm of his hand. I'm telling you. And so Mary experiences that interaction. She actually gives birth to Jesus Christ. And while she's giving birth to Jesus Christ, unbeknownst to her, in the middle of the night, the heavens open and the heavens are filled with the host of God. Now, they weren't singing, but they were praising God. I've never read the Bible where angels sing. Isn't that amazing? That song was given to us, his children, and it wasn't given to supernatural angels. It was given to us. I hear a lot about angels singing and they sing like an angel, but I'd be hard pressed to find it in the Bible where angels sing but we can sing and we're going to sing throughout all of eternity. And if you don't like singing, you better get used to it because you've been doing it for a long, long time. And if you can't sing here, if you don't think your voice sounds good here, you just wait till you get to heaven. You will have a pretty voice one day and you will have a pleasing voice to yourself and to the Lord one day. Let me tell you something. There were a heavenly host praising God, saying peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And the shepherds, when the, when the angels disappeared out of the night sky, they said, we've got to go find him. And they went and found him. And the strangers, these burly men who watch over sheep, probably dressed in sheepskin, just burst into the birthing room of the Lord Jesus Christ and began to praise this infant child. They didn't know where he was. They, nobody announced that there's a child being born in this stable with animals and laid into a manger, which is just a food trough. For animals, a little wooden, a, a little wooden foreshadowing of the tomb that Jesus would come out of. If you've ever seen a manger, it looks like a little tomb. And there they are, praising God on high. We just saw a bunch of angels, and they told us to come worship this baby. And Mary kept all these things in her heart. The Bible says. She goes to her and Joseph, go up to Jerusalem to dedicate him eight days after he's born. Just like they were supposed to. Keeping the law. 
And there's a man by the name of Simeon in the temple who's been told by the Holy Spirit that he will not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And so every day he comes to the temple hoping to see the Lord's Christ. And he's an old man. And on this particular day, I just, I, it just, again, it just continues to blow. As I'm saying it, it blows my mind. Every day this man gets up and goes to the temple. Every day he goes to church is what I'm telling you. He was convinced by the Holy Spirit that he was one day going to meet Jesus. He didn't know what he looked like. He didn't know what he sounded like. He didn't know where he was coming from. Didn't know what his name was. He just knew it was going to be the Lord's Christ, the Savior. That's all he knew. And so he goes there by faith, and every day he's there. And on this particular day, nothing special about it. Just in the middle of the springtime, I think, these two people show up with a baby to dedicate the baby at the temple the way they were supposed to. And he says, he runs over to them, grabs up the child in his arms, and says... Let thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. If, I'm sorry, if that's not sweet to you, There's something something wrong with you. He yelled, he yelled, uh, he yelled. He held our Savior in his arms. And gazed upon that little baby's face. And said, now I can die. I've seen him. This is it. This is him. And knew that he, the baby, was going to save him, Simeon. Said, that's enough. I don't have to see anymore. Anna does the same thing. It's a lady, a prophetess. Has the same reaction to seeing the Lord. Nobody else, just two people. And Mary keeps all these things in her heart. Wise men come from Babylon. That's where the east is. Modern day Iraq. Pagans, idolaters, worshiping false gods. And they saw his star in the east. And walked about 700 miles across the desert 
to come and worship the King of the Jews, the Christ and the Savior. And Mary kept all these things in her heart. Then an angel comes and says, Herod is going to kill your son. You need to go hide in Egypt. An angel. Again, I've never been spoken to by an angel. And she seems like every other conversation she's having is with an angel. (laughs) So they go live in Egypt for a couple years. And an angel shows back up and says, it's safe to go home now. And while they're going home, another angel comes and says, it's not safe to go to that home. You can get close to home, but you can't go home home. So they turn aside and Jesus comes, not Jesus of Bethlehem, but Jesus of Nazareth. This is where he grows up, a little no-name place to no-name people, and an indescript time, indescript place. And so when Mary says, it's not just anybody saying this. Oh, I forgot one. They lost him. His parents lost him when he's 12 years old, a little older than my son. Which, by the way, when they get that age, you've got to let them roam. Or you, get, you put too hard a boundary around a teenager, they're going to find, they're like a little dog. They're going to find a hole in the fence and run just to see what's out there. you got to make their fences big. So they do. They're good parents. And they just let him roam around Jerusalem. And he ends up in the temple. And they're on their way home. And he's asking the doctors and lawyers questions. He answers all their questions. And then he starts asking them questions they can't answer. And they said, when they finally found him, after three panicked days, and they finally found him, don't you imagine you'd be a little angry at him? And they said, why, why have you treated us this way? We haven't done anything. Why did you do this? And of course, it's Jesus. So he doesn't give a normal answer that a normal teenager would give. He says, woman, not mother, woman, know you not that I must be about my father's business? Don't you understand? I've been telling you since I could talk. And I'm not normal. You know I'm not normal. And I'm not here to do normal things. I'm about my father's business. And this man you're married to is not my father. And you know that. Let me remind you of what my angel told you. So she didn't say anything else to him. <laughs> and they went home. And now. And who knows? We don't know after that. How many other interactions? But we just know that there's a marriage and they've run out of wine. And he says, and she says, whatsoever he saith to you, do it. Well, that's good advice, isn't it? 
Whatever the baby in the manger says to do, do it. Whatever the child in the temple says to do, do it. Whatever the Lord of glory says to do, do it. So many people get twisted up about this. I, I talk to I have a policy. I don't know where the policy came. It's pretty arbitrary and random, I think, but it's, it's working so far, so I'm going to keep it. But if a young couple wants me to perform their marriage, I say, we're going to have three conversations that are going to last about an hour and a half apiece. If we need to, we're going to have a fourth, and maybe a fifth, and however many you need before I feel satisfied that you know what you're getting into. How many people got married and didn't know really what the Bible said was their role and what they could expect out of the other person and what the other person could expect out of them? But I tell them, if this is what God expects out of you, you can't expect any more out of yourself and you can't expect any less out of yourself. And the other person can't expect any more or any less out of you or of themselves. And so if we can all just come to an understanding that this is what God wants, this is how he wants it. Take it or leave it. The world's way of doing it isn't working. You could do it your way. You could reject what the word says. You can do it however you want to do it. And I'm, I'm, I won't come looking for you or tell you you're doing it wrong. But I'm just telling you this is what the word says. And I think you should do it. And if you don't, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm going to do my duty. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord says that you ought to know. And uh, we've had couples that have done it the Lord's way. And I'm proud to say they're happily married and we've got couples that are not doing it the Lord's way and they might be still married but they're not happy and they may be blaming each other but from the outside looking, <laughs> looking in I know where the, where the blame lies it's just simple rejection of God's order of things he's not here to hurt us he's not here to make us unhappy I heard a lady one time, she was leaving her husband, and I tried to convince her not to do it. She did it anyway, and she said, I just think the Lord wants me to be happy. I said, please tell me where the chapter and verse for that is, first of all. It's not in there. Now, does the Lord want you to be full of joy? Yes. Does the Lord want you to obey him? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it was John who said, his, or Peter, or Paul, it says his, his commandments are not grievous. In other words, if your heart's really tender and you're really sensitive and attuned to the Spirit of God, whatever he says to do, you want to do it. You don't want to do the opposite of what he wants to do. It's not hard. It's not grievous. In other words, it won't make you mourning. It won't make you go in sackcloth and ashes to do what he's asked you to do or told you to do. Well, how do you know, Brother John? I tell you, I didn't intend to preach on any of this tonight. <laughs> this is just where we are. Um, how do you know? There's a lot of young people here tonight, and you're going to have to make a lot of decisions. You have a lot of decisions in front of you. Who do you date? Uh, if you're going to date. I don't know. Who do you marry? When you get to the end of that road. How do you know who to marry? Should you buy a house or should you buy a jet ski? Should you borrow the money or should you invest the money? Should you give the money? Should you start over? Should you change careers? Which job should you take if you're offered four? 
Should you move across the country? Should you stay put? Should you live in mom's backyard? <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, there's probably somebody living in mom's backyard uh, here tonight or listening at home. Anyway, nothing wrong with living in mom's backyard if you want to do that. All right. Um, here's how you know. <clears throat> there, there's two ways to know whatsoever he saith. Now, whether you do it or not, that's an act of faith. And we're told that we should walk by faith and not by sight. But whatsoever is not by faith is sin. So if you walk by sight, let me give you an example of walking by sight, okay? Um, there was, uh, I, I don't want to re- reveal too much here, but there's a young man, and he was talking to me about uh, where he should pastor. And, and, and a bunch of churches had called him to pastor. It was an enormously blessed gift to preach. And he was talking to me about it, and he listed off all of the positive characteristics about one church that had called him, and he listed off all the negative characteristics, or at least negative in his mind, about this other church that had called him. And he said, you know, I think, I, I think I'm leaning over here. And I said, well, if you're leaning over there because of that list that you just gave me, I didn't hear you once not say that the Lord's leading you in this direction or he's leading you in that direction. I didn't hear you once say. Uh, that you'd prayed about it or that you'd got an answer for prayer or that you were even seeking the Lord's help in the matter. And so that makes me nervous. I have to be honest with you. It makes me nervous. And I think that you should really take a step back. And it's like he didn't hear me. He just said, Brother John, it's just all the da-da-da-da-da. He listed all the other. Well, he he went in that direction and it, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. He didn't stay there long because all of the things that he thought were positive, when he got there, it was really not. It was, it was pretty much all a facade. Um, that's that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to say you, you've got to. Um, okay, so how do we not walk by sight? How do we know what is the Lord telling me to do in my particular situation? You know, there's easy there's easy ones in here and there's hard ones. First one, this is easy. For all Scripture, this is uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, I think, or maybe 2 Timothy 3.16, 1 and 3.16. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That's Old and New Testament. All Scripture. The word inspiration means God breathed into. It doesn't mean like I was inspired to write a love song because my wife is so beautiful and so I took the idea from her face and her loveliness and I, I pinned down what I thought represented uh, a good representation of how she is. The word means something different than what we think it means. It means God breathed into. It means he literally breathed the words into the writers that wrote the book that we call the Bible. It is exactly how he wants it. And it is exactly in the verbiage and the words and the punctuation that he wanted used. It has been used. So all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching for uh, for <laughs> for doctrine, for proof. For instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That means if you need to be reproved, that means uh, in correction. I forgot correction. I knew there was a uh, fourth one. 
So that means if you need to be corrected, the word of God's good for correction. If you need to be really hard, strongly corrected, it's good for that. That's a reproving. If you just need to be taught doctrine, if you need to be taught what to believe and what not to believe, it's good for that. And if you just need instruction in godly living, if you just need to know which direction to go in, it'll tell you that too. It's good for what ails you, is what the Bible is saying of itself. And in my estimation, we're probably not as familiar with it as we should be. And that's probably the root of a lot of our problems, why we can't make a decision, why we don't know what decision to make. Usually, there's a lot of clear black and white answers to the questions that you have. For instance, should I obey my mother and my father? Children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. That's a clear one. Fathers, am I being too hard on my children? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. It's in fathers. To be overbearing. It's testosterone is a monster. We have to learn how to tame it. And it is uh, it's in us to be brave and courageous and take risks and all of those things. But it's also in us sometimes to use it in uh, evil ways and to be overbearing and to be bullies. Fathers can bully their own children. And he's telling you, God help you. Don't do that. Your, your children are tender. Use that on someone else, but don't use it on your own children and your own family. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And if you have provoked your children to wrath, he says, confession to the Lord. He says, um, <laughs> man, I'm, I told you this is not the direction I wanted to go in the night. Uh, maybe this is the direction the Lord's having me go. But if, help me, Lord. <laughs> this is where you want to go. <clears throat> if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that one hits home to me because I know that I've been overbearing on my children before. But you know what? Even for the overbearing fathers, there's forgiveness for you. There's cleansing for you so you can do. If the children here tonight haven't obeyed your parents and that convicted you when I said that, there's forgiveness for you. Tomorrow's a new day. You can start tonight. There's con- There's forgiveness for your past and there's cleansing so that you can move forward. Just don't pretend like it didn't happen. Own it. Say, forgive me, Lord, I I need help. That's one way you know the Lord's will. It's pretty pretty much well written. Um, But how do we know? Because there are some areas that the scripture doesn't address, like all those... Areas that I uh, mentioned before I started this point. Who do we marry? Where do we live? What, what house do we buy? Where do we, you know all those things? That's not written anywhere, except it kind of is. <clears throat> First of all, he says, "Try the spirits, see whether they be of God." You got a feeling that you need to go in this direction, or a feeling that you need to go in that direction. Give it a minute. Give it a minute. That's what trying the spirits means. It means test. There's a difference between a quiz and a test in my classroom. Quiz doesn't take very long. A test is going to take you all, period. If you studied. (laughs) If you didn't study, you won't have time to finish it. There is testing of the spirits. It's going to take a while. Be patient with the Lord. Give it a minute. Cool off. See if this is really the Lord or if this is just an, an impulse. 
Try the spirits to see whether they be of God. There are many spirits that have gone out from us, but not all of them are from us. That's what the apostle is saying. So first of all, test the spirits. See if this is really a godly uh, inclination. Second of all, he tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace, as in all the churches. I wish I wish all God's people could hear and know this. That God is not the author of confusion. If you're praying about something or someone that you love or you think you love and you want to marry them, you think you want to marry them. And God, is this a good is this is this who you want me to be with? And this is who you want me to make my family with. If you're confused about that. Understand that that confusion didn't come from the Lord. And if it did come from the Lord, if it doesn't come from the Lord, there's only one other place in the universe it could have come from. And that's not the spirit you ought to be following. There's the spirit of the world and then there's the spirit of God. And you should be following the spirit of God. And God's spirit is not divided against itself. And it's also not the author of confusion. He didn't write it into your heart, into your mind. And so if you are confused about something, give it some more time. You know, when I'm trying to make a, a life-altering decision that I know is going to affect me and my family, maybe possibly for years to come, I, I pray this way, and you can, you can use this one if you want to. Uh, Lord, you know, open the doors you want me to walk through. Give me the sight to see the open door and give me the faith to step through it and make it painfully obvious. Slam all the other doors in my face. Don't let me go through a dangerous door. Don't let me go. I don't have enough faith. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Just lead me and I'll go. Show me the path. And do you know what he says? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. He doesn't make empty promises. And he's telling us and he's teaching us in his word how to use the word to make decisions. And so she says to us, and I say to you, whatsoever he saith to do. Do it. Try the spirits. See whether they be of God. Read the word of God. And go in the direction that gives you peace. Because peace comes from the Lord. Confusion comes from the devil. God bless you is my prayer. Thank you so much for listening so kindly.